Well, it's good to be with you today. Um, it's a bit ironic to me that the title of this series is Time To, Time To um, Serve and, and the things that we'll be talking about today. But um, in preparing for today and getting ready, I failed to mention, miss, I missed somewhere along the line, that the time to come to service is 10 o'clock in the summer instead of 10.30. So fortunately, I was arriving a half hour early. And so I did make it in time for the service. But poor Brian has been a little nervous this morning. <laughs> so, and then not only that, in visiting with Alan, who you'll meet in a moment, uh, he uh, shared with me that he had a flat tire on his way here today. So, so getting here today on time has been a challenge. But we are here, and here we go. I want you to imagine for a moment that after this service, uh, you go out and you get into your car. You sit down and you grab your seatbelt and you pull it over to put it in its clasp. And as you do so, you notice that there is an Arab man sitting in the seat next to you. After you get over your bit of surprise and maybe even some fear, you look into the eyes of this man, his brown eyes, and a sense of peace comes over you. And you just know that it's Jesus. And I want you to imagine for a moment that Jesus turns to you and he smiles and he says, what do you want me to do for you? What would your response be to that question? Now for myself, that scenario is a hard one for me to uh, kind of engage in because I'm not good with surprises to start with, even good surprises. So like the other day, I was coming out of the door and the side of our garage and opened the door and this giant king cobra rose up and wanted to strike me. Actually, it was this tiny little gardener snake and it went scurrying off under the porch. But I had this moment of just like, ah! Kind of had to turn in my man card afterwards. Um, so, so I'm not good with surprises. So it would take me a little while to get over, you know, and recover from the surprise of Jesus sitting next to me in my Honda Civic. But when I would get over that sense of surprise, I wonder what would be my answer to Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, should I stall and, you know, do what they would always tell you to do if you had a genie ask you for three wishes? You know, the first thing you ask for is a million more wishes. Maybe I would want to ask for a million more requests. Or should I ask for a billion dollars? Of course, because I'm going to give 90% of it away. Or should I ask for healing for a friend of mine who has a brain tumor? What if Jesus were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer be? Would it be a self-centered request or a selfless request? Would it be a request that Jesus granted, or would it be a request that Jesus rejected? What if I could tell you today that there is a certain type of request you can be sure that Jesus will reject, but there is also a certain type of request that you can always be certain that Jesus will grant? Would you want to know what those requests are? I know I do. I don't want to waste my time asking Jesus for requests he's only going to reject. I want to spend my time asking Jesus for requests that I know that Jesus is going to grant. And so today I want to take us to a part of Mark's biography of Jesus and look at two stories. 
John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, is writing down stories that he heard Peter telling. And Peter was the eyewitness to the events we're going to read about today. And these stories take place in two different stretches of road. (laughs) Jesus often spent a lot of his time just on the road. And it's the week before Holy Week, the week when Jesus is going to be arrested and put on trial and convicted and crucified and rise again. It's the week before that. And Jesus is literally on the road to Jerusalem where he's going to lay down his life in the service of others. Going to Jerusalem uh, at this time has put the disciples kind of in an awkward situation. Try to imagine this. Uh, Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and it's well known that the religious leaders and the authorities who collaborate with the political leaders intend to arrest Jesus and to put him on trial for blasphemy and leading a rebellion. And so for the disciples, they know that they're moving towards danger as they follow Jesus towards Jerusalem. So part of them is feeling that tension of the danger that's coming. But there's also a part of them that anticipates and hopes that in Jesus going to Jerusalem this time, that he was going to use his miraculous powers to drive out the Romans and to set himself up as the political Messiah who would create an independent Israel. So they have these mixed feelings as they're headed towards Jerusalem, following Jesus along the road. And so it's on the road to Jerusalem where the disciples have these two tensions at work, that we encounter these two stories. And in both of these stories, I want you to notice that Jesus asks the exact same question, even with the same words. What do you want me to do for you? The first story comes to us in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. And you can follow along on the screen. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) Can you imagine asking Jesus that? I always want you to do for us whatever we want. Jesus doesn't rebuke them, but instead asks this exact question. What do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. In essence, they were asking, let one of us be the vice president, one of us be secretary of state in your new administration, Jesus. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Can you go through the suffering that I'm about to go through, Jesus asks. They maybe know what he's talking about or maybe they don't, but they say, we can. (laughs) But Jesus said to them, Oh, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Mark chapter 10. Jesus rejects their self-serving request for positions of power and popularity. Jesus does because he loves them too much to grant a selfish and self-serving request. If I had gotten into my car 10 years ago and Jesus was sitting there and he had asked me, what do you want me to do for you? 10 years ago right now, I would have probably had a pretty quick answer. And my answer would have been, Jesus, I want you to make me the next campus pastor at Bethel University. I was at the time in a long, drawn-out process in which I was now one of the finalists for this position. 
And it felt like, for me, this was the right thing and how God wanted me to serve God with my life. I was a graduate from Bethel. I had worked at Bethel some. I'd been a pastor. I had worked in the academy for three years. And all of it seemed like it was all pointing to me being the right kind of person to be a pastor in an academic environment. Well, I can still remember where I was sitting. Uh, I remember what it felt like when I got the phone call. And I answered the phone, and it was um, a friend of mine who happened to also be the provost. Uh, his name is Jay, who's now the president. And Jay was making this hire at that time, and he called, to, to, and he began the conversation after some, you know, nice words here and there of, well, Dale, I have bad news for you. And he informed me that I wasn't the person they picked. As I look back on that season of my life and I think about my requests and my dreams and my hopes and my desires, I realize that there's probably some parts of that that were fairly selfish. Uh, I wanted the title. I wanted to be able to come back to my alma mater and, you know, have this role. And there was probably some selfish things that were part of it. But I also know for sure, looking back on it, that God knew that that would not have been the best thing for me. As I look back on it, our family at that season of life had, uh, we have three boys, and we had two that were in elementary school and one that was in middle school. And this particular job would have been a, you know, 60 plus hour a week job, and I live an hour away from Bethel, so that was two hours of commuting every day on top of that many hours, plus outside responsibilities of speaking and this different things, and realize, eh, probably would not have been the best for our family and for me to be the father I wanted to be. As I look back on it, I also realized it would not have been best for Bethel. Uh, Bethel today has an African-American woman, her name is Laurel, Pastor Laurel, who is the campus pastor and has been there for quite a time. Uh, I am not an, you know, I'm a a white uh, man, not an African-American woman. And it's been the best thing for Bethel to have her in that role. And in addition to that, as I've watched her lead over these years, I realize she's a, a prophetess. I mean, she's the kind that, you know, lightning bolts come from the stage when she speaks kind of personality, right? And she's a gifted evangelist. And I am not. I'm more of a pastor, teacher, you know, apostle kind of personality. And I realized that my request at that time was fairly self-serving. It would not have served me best. It would not have served Bethel best. And the answer was No. If Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you? Would Jesus reject your request? Jesus always rejects the selfish and self-centered, self-serving requests that we make. But the good news is, there is a kind of request that Jesus always grants. And the next story teaches us what that request is. As Jesus and the disciples continue on the road to Jerusalem, where Jesus is going to lay down his life in the service of others, Jesus has to cross the Jordan River at Jericho. And as they cross the Jordan Jordan at Jericho, that's two J's in a row, as they cross the Jordan at Jericho, and now they go up the road to Jerusalem. That's three J's in a row, I did not notice that. Um, They will now make their way up to Jerusalem in this kind of last stretch of the road. And listen to the next story that happens in Mark chapter 10. This is Mark 10, 46 through 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, 
was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and said, shh, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight, but did not go, but followed Jesus along the road. The road to where? The road to Jerusalem. Now, on the surface, it might seem like Bartimaeus's request to be able to see is a selfish or self-centered request. It might seem like he wants, like all of us would if we were blind, to be able to see the trees and the skies and to be able to see the, the faces of our loved ones. It seems like his request is self-serving, but Jesus knows otherwise, and John Mark helps us notice. Because his request is not self-serving like James and John's. By the way that John Mark tells the story, he makes it clear that Bartimaeus' request is not for sight so as to see all the things that he's been missing out on life. No, John Mark wants us to notice that he addresses Jesus as rabbi. Now, technically, Jesus is not his rabbi, and he is not his disciple. In the first century, rabbis had disciples who they literally invited to come follow them, and they literally followed their teacher and sought to mimic what their teacher did and what their teacher taught. This mimicking process was described as following in the path or on the road or in the way of a rabbi. By addressing Jesus as rabbi, Bartimaeus is suggesting to Jesus, I want to be your follower. But to be a follower who travels in the footsteps of Jesus, he knows, i got to be able to see. And notice that Jesus tells Bartimaeus to go. But when Bartimaeus receives his vision, he does not go. He almost like the first thing he does as a follower of Jesus is disobey him. He instead, the text tells us, uses his newfound vision to get on the road. To follow, it literally says in the Greek, in the way. And where is that road leading? Where does the way of Jesus lead? To Jerusalem. And what is the rabbi going to do in Jerusalem that his disciples are supposed to mimic? The Son of Man is going to lay down his life in the service of others. You see, Bartimaeus' request is not selfish, but selfless. He's asking for eyes with which to see Jesus so as to follow Jesus to Jerusalem, to follow and mimic his rabbi who's going to lay down his life in the service of others. And do you notice that his name is given to us? Often and most of the time in the stories of Jesus, you don't know who the people are that he heals, but you know the name of Bartimaeus. Why? Probably because he became a significant leader who followed in the way of Jesus and followed the example of Jesus by serving others and people knew who Bartimaeus was. And they wanted, Mark, John Mark wanted us to know 
that was how his story of following Jesus started. Now, all this means that there is a kind of request, I want to suggest, that Jesus always grants. Jesus always grants our request to see how to serve. Now, the reason that I feel so confident that Bartimaeus is making a selfless request to be able to serve is because sandwiched between these two stories of Jesus asking, what do you want me to do for you, is a short little teaching that Jesus gives. It comes on the heels of Jesus rejecting John and James's request and then granting Bartimaeus's request. And so I want us to read this little short teaching which centers on serving and not being served. And to do so, I want to invite you to stand and let's read the scriptures together in this set. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 41 through 45, and it comes right after James and John have, been asked, have asked Jesus to sit on the left and the right, and he rejects that. And then, just so you know in advance, the word indignant, because I don't use that in everyday conversation, do you? It means to, like, be ticked off. That's kind of the nice church way to say it, to be ticked off. Okay, let's read together. Mark chapter 10, verses 41 through 45. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you. You may be seated. To follow in the footsteps of our rabbi, which I believe Bartimaeus desperately wanted to do, is to get on the road to Jerusalem. It's to seek to serve, not to be served. And to make our service of others possible, there is a request that Jesus always grants. Jesus always grants our request for eyes with which to see how we are to follow Jesus in laying down our life in the service of others. Jesus always grants our request for how to serve. The reality is for us to be able to see how God wants us to serve means that God has to open our eyes to how we individually and uniquely are called by God to get on the road to Jerusalem. Each of us has a unique way, a unique set of gifts, a unique set of experiences, unique encounters with people and with opportunities. And so we need to be able to see for God to literally open our eyes how God is calling us to serve. For the church that I'm part of that we're starting, for our faith community, um, this ability to see has come through a sense of discernment and noticing circumstances and what God is doing. And we've sensed that, that God has opened our eyes to a problem that exists for kids in Minneapolis, the area where we work, who go home often on Fridays hungry because they don't have enough food for the weekend. And so we've partnered and decided that we sense God has opened our eyes to this and that we're supposed to do something about it. And we are bark, um, uh, partnering with a backpack uh, program 
that provides food on Friday afternoons for kids that puts it in their backpacks and then they can take that home and it's enough for them and, and all of their family for the weekend. But that's not maybe what God's calling you to do or how God is calling you to serve. And the reality is that each of us need to have a Bartimaeus experience where God opens our eyes to see how we're to get on the road and follow in the way of Jesus to serve others. Because Jesus always grants our request to see how to serve others. I want us to slow down for a moment and even take a little bit of time Because you might be here today and you're like, I think I know how God has called me to serve. Or you might be here today and you're like, I'm not quite sure. Or maybe that's shifting in my life. And so I want us to take time to literally stop and pray a dangerous prayer. A prayer that Jesus is going to answer in Jesus' own time. And that is the request for eyes to see how God wants you to serve. So I want to invite you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine again leaving this service and getting into your car and finding Jesus sitting in the seat next to you. Imagine Jesus smiling and asking you, what do you want me to do for you? And now I want you to tell Jesus, Rabbi, I want to see how you want me to lay down my life in the service of others. Jesus, I thank you that whether you have already told us or you just told us in this prayer or you will tell us in the future, we just keep asking. I thank you that you promise to always grant our request to see how to serve others. And may we have the courage to act when you show us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Today we have the privilege of learning how Jesus gave Alan law eyes to see how to serve others. And before he comes and I interview him, to just introduce him, we're going to show you a short clip that introduces you a little bit to how Jesus called him to serve. So watch this clip. These are going to go to families who don't have anything. The sandwiches that you made this morning are going to be eaten tonight by people that have no place to stay. Last year, I passed out 750,000 sandwiches. I have 10 freezers in my apartment. The last time I slept in a bed was 12 years ago. I sleep in a van at night, one or two hours. And now I know I need more sleep because I've got some health problems. Thank you very much. But people ask me why I do this. I said, if I was homeless and I was hungry and someone brought me a sandwich, I'd say, thank you. That's right. Alan, you want to come?
Welcome. So, Alan, I understand you have some connections to this church. Do you want to share with people how that is? My nephew, Dan, and his wife, Carrie, and their family. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. Well, good I, connection. Very good. Good. Excellent family. Good. Well, welcome. Good to have you here. Thank you. Um, Alan, would you share just a little bit of how Jesus first gave you a kind of a vision um, to serve others in this, this unique way of providing food um, and sandwiches on a nightly basis, it sounds like, uh, to people? It actually started a long time, actually before that. Someone had told me my second year in college that I was going to teach in the inner city mm. and spend every night on the streets in a program. Uh, I would have said, I don't think so. <laughs> But so, so it started with teaching for 32 years, having an after-school weekend program all summers every day. And, um, and when I retired from teaching in 1999, I decided then to spend every night on the streets, the homeless situation, because it's so critical in the city. Yeah. And it just seemed that um, it's just it's what, I, what I do. Yeah, it's exciting. And I truly believe this is what God has me do. It's a unique uh, thing to kind of reach a place of possibly retiring <laughs> uh, to take on a, a challenge like this. And it sounds like there's been a fair amount of uh, sacrifice to it. Uh, you sacrificed like, giving up your time. Um, we saw like that clip of, of your apartment with all the refrigerators. So you're kind of sacrificing some space <laughs> there. 17 and freezers. 17 freezers. Uh, and... Uh, um, and you also kind of sacrifice in terms of, you know, being up through the night to, to go where um, people need that food and are living and present to them. How, how has that felt in terms of that kind of sacrifice? And is it something that feels like a sacrifice to you? And, no. or has it, and has it been worth it to follow Jesus in this way? It's not really a sacrifice. Yeah. I think the only time over the years that I was a little upset. I had cancer a couple years ago. Mm. So I missed a week or two and I had to find other people to at least deliver food for me. Mm. But uh, other than that, it's, it's, uh, it's never been a, really a sacrifice. Yeah. And where some people think we're going to go on vacation and whatever, it, uh, it's just my, my daily routine. Yes. I go out at 8 o'clock at night and try to get in the next day at 10 or 11. And you mentioned the flat tire this morning. Uh, <laughs> I was on my way, another trip to Salvation Army, where I was downtown all night, and something told me that I'd better head to uh, Maple Grove, and I said, well, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, I'm never early any place, <laughs> all my years teaching or anything else, but for some reason, I'm driving down right before I got to, uh, to Brooklyn Park, and there's flat tire, and I was lucky, a tow truck, whatever, we got it worked out, so nice. e- even in that, there, yeah. was, there, was, there was a reason, but I've never looked at it is really that much of a sacrifice. It's something that, to me, I'm a blessed to be able to do. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm just thankful for all the partners as far as they'd make the sandwiches and provide all the, the other things yeah. that people so desperately need. So, yeah. cool. And that's it. And uh, as I stress so often, it's important to feed people and so forth. But the main thing is changing lives. Yeah. And that's what it's about. And Jesus is the center of everything. Sweet. Cool. Well, you shared a little bit about, like, partnerships and people that are helping you prepare the food or doing other things. Um, I know the the students here, um, um, 
raised an offering that's going towards you? Um, what, what are tangible things that people could do if they were interested to, to support you or the program or, or to pray for you? Most important thing is prayer. Mm. Uh, last year it was 4,000 pair of socks, 750,000 sandwiches. Mm. And this year will be over a million sandwiches. Um, most expensive thing are bus tokens. Mm, People yeah. stranded on the streets at night have no place to go. So when I went for uh, half price with Metro Transit, so that helps out. Okay. But um, there's a brochure. I hope everyone will take one. Yeah. It gives other opportunities for people to get involved. But um, the thing I emphasize the whole the whole thing to me is for people to get involved, not necessarily with with this program, but with with a program or something themselves to yeah. help to help other people. Yeah. Because that's what our job as Christians. Yeah. Serving others, right? Yeah, awesome, cool. Well, can we pray for you right now? Absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll lift you up. Father God, I thank you for my brother Alan. Thank you for um, his heart for you and for his openness to you, uh, to directing his life. And even in his su- supposed retirement years of you, Jesus inviting him to follow you and to giving him eyes to see how you're calling him to serve others. And so we thank you for him. We ask that you would anoint and bless um, the work of his hands um, for this program. We pray for finances. We pray for volunteers. We pray for opportunities. Um, We pray that you would just continue to go before Alan and raise up others around him who have a heart for this and who collaborate with him and who assist when there's times when he, he just can't always be there. And so we ask that you would raise up those people around him too. So thank you for him, Jesus, and we uh, give you praise for what you're doing through him and uh, the lives of the people that he touch, touches. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Well, Jesus always grants our request uh, to see how to serve others. And I want you to just imagine as we kind of end today what it would be like if we each knew, as Alan does so clearly, where, how Jesus wants us to serve. Imagine how we would continue to grow to be more like Jesus if we asked and then Jesus gave us eyes to see how to serve others. And imagine too how Maple Grove Covenant would grow as a community as you ask and then you all discern and have eyes to see how it is that you all together are to serve. Imagine, as has been the emphasis of this month, how it would grow, you, this community, would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.